welcome. I am excited to be here with you guys today. We are going to continue in our series in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is a New Testament gospel eyewitness account of Jesus' life written down for us so that we could hear from him, we could see why he came to the earth, his mission, and all the things that he was able to do. Today we have an interesting, an interesting story or an interesting place in the scripture that we're going to be actually looking at. It's in, in Mark chapter 5. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, pull up Mark chapter 5 verses uh, 21 through 43. It's a lot of verses. I'm going to read these to you um, and then we're going to walk, walk through them and see some of the parallelisms uh, that are in this and some of the, the things that we want to see. And, and frankly, it's a story about two women healed by their faith or by someone's faith. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little, little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, all, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for blood for 12 years with constant bleeding, She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask? Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw so much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we come to your word today, Lord, we believe that 
All of your word in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down for us to know who you are, to, to build our faith, to help us find out truth versus lies, what's right versus wrong. Lord, help us today understand the things that you want us to know from this story. Father, and through your Spirit, who also wrote these words down, help us to understand who Jesus is and how much he loves people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I said, we're going to talk about this, this story. I know it's a long story to follow along. What, what's going on here is a thing that happens in Mark, in the book of Mark frequently, is it's like, a, it's like if you're watching a movie and the camera is changing scenes in the middle of a story. You know, that was what was going on here. We first had Jairus, the synagogue leader, and his daughter was sick. And so Jesus comes across uh, the lake, and right as he gets out, this guy comes up and says, Hey, I need your help. My daughter's sick. Would you come save her? And so along the way, you know, the, the camera pans to this woman. And this woman, and her faith and her desperation, leads her to seek out Jesus for this healing that she needs. And then, and then we get that scene, and then it turns back to the little girl at the end. And, and this is something that Mark, the writer, does often. It's called an intercalation, and it's where two stories, they're not necessarily related um, in, in the story, but they actually have similar meanings to them. It's amazing to think about how God uses these stories to teach us these things, and, and yet they're real historical events that actually happened. And what I want to do today is pull out five things, five, five points from this story that apply to our lives, but also point out what's going on and what, what God really wants us to know here today through this. We're going to look at, you know, the, the story of the girl and the women and how they both coincide with one another. And first, I want to talk about desperation. Going back to the verse, it says, When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. And the same thing with the woman. She was so desperate that she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she hadn't gotten any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Desperation often leads people to seeking out Jesus. This is probably something that you can relate to in your own story. Oftentimes I say it, I say it almost every week, humanity is a stubborn people, a stubborn creation of God's. We, we don't often learn until pain is involved. We don't often fall to our knees and, and seek help or worship because, because of our pride and, and until it gets to the point where we are out of control. And oftentimes, that is when God comes to us in our greatest need. That's oftentimes when we're humble enough to finally say, okay, God, I'm done controlling everything. I've tried everything in life that I could possibly do to fix my situation. Now I'm going to trust you. And so it's very fitting that this would happen out, all out in the world, right? Like, I believe God uses desperate times so that we would become desperate for him. And I know that even in my own life, 
It wasn't until I've hit rock bottom several times and sin I was struggling with or, or certain situations where I'd become complacent in my prayer. You want to learn how to pray better? Let, go through some storms in life. Let some things happen in your life or look around at the things that are going wrong in your life, the things that you can't control. You know, oftentimes when I think about, man, my prayer life just doesn't measure up. Well, I realize that God then starts to allow things to happen in my life so that I will finally hit my knees and seek him. And I think this is a really great story of of what's going on, a, a desperation that causes someone to act. You see, you can't really say you're desperate if you don't actually do anything about your desperation. You have to be ready and willing to seek help. And that is what they are doing. You, you know, with, this, with the father, as I had read, this guy was a local synagogue leader, okay? And, and I just want to remind you that the synagogue was the place where Jewish people meet to do their religious rituals and activities and to hear teaching from the Old Testament and the law. And we've already seen that the Pharisees, who are the teachers of the law, have rejected Jesus, okay? They, they think that he's, he's performing all these miracles that he's been doing by the power of Satan. They think he's a false messiah, a false prophet, and we know that, that because they eventually kill him and charge him with blasphemy, Right, But this guy is so desperate, the synagogue leader is so desperate that he's willing to lay aside his tradition, his religious tradition. You know, something he'd probably been brought up in as a child. No, his, his parents, his community, everyone around him had the same faith. And this guy being a leader of the synagogue would have been someone who was in control of how they worshipped. He would have been very familiar uh, and included in the sect of the Pharisees. And yet he's so desperate, he says, you know, all that stuff is worthless compared to getting my daughter saved and healed. And I've heard about this man named Jesus. And, and I don't quite know if it's true or not, I don't know, you know, some of these things, I know the Old Testament enough to know that, you know, there's some, something about this Jesus character, especially with all the power that he has. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. And he's so desperate, he's willing to take a risk to be outcasted by his community, his family, and the society he lived in to drop at the feet of Jesus and ask for help. I think that's something that still goes on in our culture here today, right? So many different religions and faiths all around us. People, you know, disregarding Christianity or different forms of religion that say that they're the one true church and that if you go outside of that, um, you will be, you know, in outer darkness or, what, or whatever it is, right? There are so many things in our culture that are bullying people into staying in these circles, and yet some people have grown up in their faith and never really actually gone outside to find truth, to really discover who is this Jesus, not the Jesus of my family members and friends. I can't go to heaven based on their merit and their knowledge and their faith. I must have my own connection with God. I must find out the truth for myself. You see, that is where I think God wants us all to be. 
He doesn't want us to depend on the traditions of culture or family or friends. And so sometimes we become desperate. My question, are you desperate? Again, think about this woman for 12 years had suffered from a discharge of blood. This would have meant that she was already an outcast from society. This would have meant that she had no relationships. She, she wouldn't have been married. She wouldn't have been able to have any children. She must have felt terrible about herself, trying everything she could, seeing doctors, right? And again, this is the same thing for us in our culture, even inside the church, inside Christianity. Sometimes the first thing we do when troubles or trials come into our lives or, or when there's something that ails us, we try everything else but Jesus first, right? Isn't that true? I know that's true even in my own life. Sometimes I forget to drop to my knees and pray and to seek Jesus. It took this woman 12 years. And yet, this is happening in a period of time where Jesus steps on the scene that brings new hope. When Jesus is brought up, when he's taught, when you hear about him, this should bring up a new desperation in all of us. Whether you're an unbeliever here today and trying to seek the truth or whether you're a believer when Jesus is being made known and being declared through his word, we ought to perk up. We ought to become desperate. Feed me. Give me what I need. I need to hear those words because they're healing. That's one similarity I see in these two stories. Another one is this idea of 12 years being brought up. You see, it said that the, woman, the girl was 12 years old and then... The woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Now, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. Uh, you could call it numerology. And sometimes people go way too far with scouring the Bible for all these numbers, right? And they're trying to figure out these certain codes and things that are going to happen. And, but I want you to know, although there's weird people and weird things like that out there, there is meaning to a lot of the numbers in the Bible. There. You know, we believe that the Bible was written by the very words of God. This isn't just men's opinions written down, but God, God through the Holy Spirit, worked in men to write these words down. And, and if these be God's words, then every single word has importance. We should pay attention to themes and things, because not only is it important, but God's word is so deep I don't know about you. I'm, I, I'm, I, actually, I do know about you. If you are a believer in God and you read the scriptures over and over again, like every year here at this church, we do Bible in a year, and we read it together. And I've read the Bible quite a, quite, quite a few times all the way through, and, and lots of different Bible studies I've gone through, and the same books. And, and every time I read it, something else pops out at me. It's like I'm going down and down further, deeper, deeper. Roots are growing deeper, deeper in my heart because these words just have so much depth to them. And so when we look at stories like this, you know, one of the things that popped out of me was the number 12. What 12 represents is God's restoration and God's completion, his fullness you'll recognize the number 12 through the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Why did he choose 12? Why didn't he do 11? Why didn't he do 13, right? Why did he choose 12 disciples? Maybe you've never thought about this before. 
But yet this is God's word, and so we must pay attention that there are similarities all over Scripture. And one thing we can understand about the number 12 again is that this is representing God's kingdom. The 12 disciples, the 12 tribes in the book of Revelation, we see that they're sitting on on thrones with God in heaven, and this represents his kingdom. And so every time God comes, or Jesus in the book of Mark, we've seen him do a miracle. One thing I've always said, the theme is, is that what Jesus is doing is he's revealing the kingdom. We've talked about him preaching about the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom? The kingdom is God's rule and reign over his people. And what's happening is Jesus coming to earth is establishing, hey, this world has fallen to an evil king. His name is Satan, but I have come to take it back. Part of that fallenness of creation, the the good creation that God created that fell when Adam and Eve sinned and now has since passed that sin nature down to every human being and we continue to add on to our sins that separate us from God. Part of the results of that sin is a broken world, is sickness, it's death. You see, every time you see a need for healing, you see something that we can all relate to. All of us in some way, shape, or form have something that we need God to come rescue us from, to heal us from. And we long for the day when we won't have to deal with death and pain and sorrow anymore. And that's what I believe the number 12 is revealing that Mark, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to show us again and again and again. When Jesus comes and does a healing, he is revealing that this is just a taste Of that when the kingdom of God is fully consummated here on earth. When Jesus comes back. That there will be no more death or crying. There won't be a need for healing anymore. And it ultimately also represents our need for healing from our greatest ailment. Which is sin. That plagues us like cancer. In every human being's soul. Another interesting fact is that they're both daughters. Now, this is hilarious because I, I was, when we were preparing the sermon, it just popped out at me. I'm like, I got to get this stuff out of my head. And I'm talking to some other pastors. I'm like, isn't it amazing that these, these, these women are both daughters? And the, and the guy goes, oh, yeah, that's, that's just profound, right? <laughs> and then it, 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 it occurred to me that if you were born a woman... You're a daughter. You have to be a daughter, right? There's no other, there's no other way about it. I mean, so they, yes, they were both born as women and they are both daughters. You have to be a daughter if you are a woman. Um, but yet, that's not why I put that up there. <laughs> I mean, we could quickly move on, but there's something to this that I, I want to touch on. Verse 23, my little daughter is dying, he said. This is Jairus. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Again in Mark 34, uh, 534, this is Jesus. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Again, I wanted to zero in on the fact that the author included the title of daughter for both of them. Now this, this woman, you know... This is interesting because Jesus calling her daughter. There's several other times in scripture where Jesus does a healing and he refers to a woman as a daughter. In fact, there's one that he, he heals a woman um, who had uh, 
an evil spirit. It caused uh, this thing in her that made her, you know, uh, ill, and she had to be bent over. And, and the Pharisees were mad at him for healing on the Sabbath, and he referred to this woman as a daughter of Abraham. And what this is, when Jesus does this, this is what we need to understand. Jesus is God. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, and he is the one whom God created all things through, the Bible says. Whether in heaven, unseen, whether on the earth, things that you can see, including human beings. Jesus created us. Another place in the Old Testament refers to Jesus when talking about his birth, going back to Christmas, calls him everlasting father, eternal father. Jesus is not God the Father. We need to understand something about the Trinity. It's very deep. Again, the Trinity is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal, all co-eternal, all being God, yet three in one. I hope you have some conversations about that later. If you don't understand that, we've got plenty of resources for you to dig into that, pursuegod.org, and, and uh, just people that you can talk to. But, but what I want to zero in on is that Jesus is creator father. He's the eternal father of all things, the father of time, right? He, he created humanity. And so when he calls this woman daughter, he's basically accepting her into the family. I want you to understand that human beings are not sons and daughters of God. Not naturally. When you were born into this world, you were born an enemy of God, separated from, from God. That the Bible says, okay? And so, so to be called a son or a daughter by God means that you've been brought into the family. When we get to faith, we're going to talk about how that actually happens, where he says it here, your faith has made you well. But what Jesus is signifying here is that through her faith, she has become a daughter of God. The same thing with the little daughter. You see, Jesus heals her. Jesus lays his hands on her, referring to her as someone who will represent the kingdom of God. The fact that she's even actually in this story is almost countercultural. The fact that, that Mark takes a second in his movie in the camera angles to pan on this, this story of two women is countercultural. Back then, um, women... And men didn't directly speak to women whom they weren't married to, okay? And so they were, they were in society, um, uh, wrongfully so, on many occasions, you know, made less than um, men in the world. And so for Mark to focus on the fact that these are two women is showing something else, that God cares for both men and women equally. There's no favoritism God created uh, all of us in the image of God, and God wants us to know that although that there, there are some people that take things too far, right? There are, there are people that misinterpret the Bible and take it too far and try to abuse God's creation. There, you can take it too far on both sides, though. You can say that, you know, men and women are completely equal, and therefore there's no need for any gender differences whatsoever, that's taken it way too far. 
That's disrespect differences between, I would say, today on Mother's Day, to say that, that there's no differences between men and women. We would not be here if it wasn't for mothers, by the way. The amazing thing that mothers can do that men cannot do, one of many, is that they can grow little hellion enemies of God inside of them, you know, (laughs) that need to be saved by grace. But still, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's disrespectful to say that there's no difference, right, when there obviously is. But you can go too far the other way and say that one is greater than the other. And I think we should pick up on these themes in the grace of God and the love of God as we walk through these stories. There's even more. There's even more to this uncleanness, all right? Mark 5.41, it says, holding her hand, touched her. He said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. In Numbers 19.11, this is the Old Testament law, it says, all those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Now we've seen this before where Jesus healed a leper who was unclean, and yet Jesus is not breaking the law. Jesus never broke any of the law. Jesus never sinned, but yet Jesus is God, like I said, so sin will not pass on to Jesus Or uncleanness cannot pass on to Jesus. No, the power comes out of Jesus to heal and to bring life. And so again, he is proving a point to people that through a touch, he can go beyond what they're fearful of, breaking the law. He can go beyond these things to prove his power. He touches her, right? She was was unclean as a dead body. Um, but he, again, goes beyond cultural norms. And now with the women, so she, ca- she come up behind, uh, behind him through the crowd and touched him. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Again, through a touch, Jesus healed this woman. In fact, with her issue, again, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, you know, it covers this whole idea about uh, someone who has a, a discharge of blood, a woman who has a discharge of blood like this. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonial and clean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourselves in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. You know what this shows me? It shows me a really great picture of Jesus, God in the flesh. He comes down from heaven without any sin and comes into this sinful world And he roams around with us in this dirty, broken, sin through a touch, demonic world. And he walks around and he's claiming the kingdom through a touch. He's walking around intimately with human beings. This shows the love of God. He's not just a God that's far away, but yet he's very near, willing to come into our dirtiness, into our our situation, and to cleanse us. And to save you and me. Which really leads to the last thing. Before I get there, I'll just say all of us are represented in these two women. We are all unclean. Like I said, born enemies of God. Because of that sin nature passed down. 
But not only that, we continue to contribute to that sinful nature by sinning, by going against God, by, by following our own opinions, our ideas, and our feelings rather than God's truth. Loving ourselves rather than loving others. Putting God at a way low importance or other things above him in higher priority, which is idolatry. There are so many things that we are guilty of, and, and as a result of our sin, we have become unclean before God. So something needed to happen, which leads us to faith. See, both of these women were saved by faith. We see Jairus' faith, where he comes and bows down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, but just have faith. Again, when Jesus healed the woman, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You see, it is by faith and faith alone that you and I, men and women, boys and girls, can be saved. Nothing else. No amount of religious acts or works or trying to measure up to our neighbors or coming to church and putting on, you know, the face that says that everything is okay. None of that is going to make us right with God. And the power of God will not work through that. The power of God works through our faith. Hebrews eleven six says this, And without faith it is impossible to please, God, please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God certainly rewarded these two women for their faith beyond just a physical healing, but I believe when we go to heaven one day, we will get to see both of these two women because of faith. The father's faith led the girl to be touched by Jesus and saved. Now for many of us, it doesn't mean our parents' faith is going to save us, but it does mean that if you are a parent here today, your faith can lead your children to salvation by bringing Jesus to them, by exemplifying your own faith and how desperate you are for Jesus, admitting your own sin, teaching them to do the same, to repent and believe. And for the woman, how desperate she was to travel from who knows how far, willing to just touch Jesus no matter what, that faith saved her as well. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Today we praise God for all that he's done for us. We haven't contributed to his salvation in any way. We only come to him to worship. That's what we do on Sundays. And we bow we come and sit at his feet and we say, I need you. I cannot do anything to save myself, but I am desperate for you. I trust who you are, the power that you have, and the truth about what the Bible says about you. That is how you are saved. And I believe that that is what God wants us to see in these scriptures today. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we come to you today on such a, a wonderful day where we do honor mothers. Father, we thank you for mothers. We wouldn't be here without them, literally. But I pray, Lord, that all of us here today, 
all of us, Lord, would recognize your love, your grace, your power. I pray that you would reveal to us more and more every day who, who you are, Jesus. Through your spirit, God, I pray that if there are people here right now that haven't quite taken the leap of faith, the step of faith to trust you, to be desperate enough to follow you, I pray, God, that you would give them that gift of faith. Lord, where they can't conjure it up even in their own intellectual abilities. Father, I pray that you'd give all of us a measure of faith to trust you more in this life, trust ourselves less, to put you on the throne, to worship you. I pray that you're honored and glorified today, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.